Yes, you're listening to a car show. But other things excite us, too. So this is something different, something extra. Same two guys, no cars. Welcome to the podcast, guys. This is our first extra podcast that we've ever done. I'm excited to share this because we are dedicating this podcast solely to a novel written by Todd Deacon. And I just want to start out and say congratulations. Thank you, man. I'm really, really proud of you. And Thank I'm you, man. And thrilled for you. And I'm amazed. So well I appreciate done. It. I, I appreciate Fantastic it. Fantastic job. Thank you, buddy. I, I appreciate you reading it. I, I appreciate all of you listening to this podcast in general that is about cars. Now we're on to something not at all about cars. It's not. And I, yeah. and I appreciate all of you that are listening again that are curious about the novel. Many of you have asked me about it for years. I'm very excited to talk about this book. I'm genuinely proud of it. At the same time, I don't want to sit here and be like, pardon me while I pontificate about writing. No, so I, want I don't to share, see it that way at all. I don't. I hope so. I, I want to share. I, I want to answer questions. I want to share my thoughts. I would like everyone listening. I, I absolutely, 100%, 150%. How many percentage can I go? I want everybody to <laughs> read this. Seriously, I want yeah. everybody to read it. If you are on Amazon and you buy it, if you are on Goodreads as a person that reads lots of, of books, please give it a rating and a review. Both of those places have this book, Paper Father. And honestly, you guys listening are going to be the thing that makes it a thing. Absolutely. I, yes. I have worked to write it. I hope people enjoy it. I just want people to read it and enjoy it. You guys are responsible for that. I am happy to talk about it. I am also aware of the fact that lots of people have written books. If you don't tell people what you do, true, then nobody knows. True, absolutely. If you don't yeah. share it, then nobody will know what's going on in your life. And this is a huge milestone. And so we've got also a short segment from Nate Kuhn, who is our cycle report writer, yeah, who yeah. is also a writer Mm -hmm. on the Everyday Driver website with five other writers, mm -hmm. and, and he's he was, a driver. He is a driver, but he, the key thing related to Paper Fathers, and you'll hear some things that he has to say about it that, that Paul and I can't speak to, which I'm very interested about, but also the fact that Nate happened to be one of the 10 people that were in my first round of readers, my beta readers. This book would be described as dystopian fiction. Now, if you don't know what that means, most people know what the word utopia is, a perfect world. You know, the, the birds sing and the sunlight shines down. It's a utopia world. Yeah, utopia. An author created the opposite of a utopia, which is a dystopia. Most people also think of it as a post-apocalyptic world. The one most of us around the world have heard of is either Mad Max mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or The Walking Dead. Both of those are dystopian worlds for different reasons. Okay, I have written something in the near future as a dystopian novel. The idea is that the lead character, Samuel Kerr, gets out of debtor's prison in the U.S., Debtor's prison has been created because the U.S. financial system has collapsed. He's been in debtor's prison for a little over three years, and now he's in a different world. He has to find his way back to his family, but he thinks that's not that big a deal. He's not that far from, in debtor's prison from where his family is, his parents, his wife, and his son. But he gets to his parents' house to discover that his parents have been killed, and his wife and son are gone. I'm not telling you anything that's not in the blurb on right. the back of the book. So right. he now has to figure out where did they go, but... This is a world, nobody's driving anywhere. There's no cars on the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he has no way to get anywhere of distance. And he has reasons to believe his family is in Aspen. He's in California. They're in Aspen. While he's been in prison, these enclaves have been built where the people with money have essentially holed themselves up in these areas that have been called the shining cities. And they're all over the nation. But there's a few of them. Most of them are in small resort towns, Aspen being one. He has reason to believe that his family is in Aspen, his wife and his son. But he's more than a thousand miles away. Is he going to walk? 
he's going to try. I can't imagine that you would. Yeah, he's going to try. I mean, how, how do you get there? Saying, so yeah. his yeah. demeanor is the only family I have, the only connection back to the world that I've lost is these people a thousand miles away. So he starts this journey. But he knows instantly people are fighting and killing to survive. Right, right. I have no resources. So I'm going to start a thousand mile journey without a car. Isn't that interesting that I, a car guy, wrote a thing about it? Moving on. Yeah. So he's going to start. There's vehicles in the book, but there are no cars. Yes. So he's going to start a thousand mile journey without a lot of supplies. And he doesn't know if he's going to make it because there's really no assumption that he can. Mm -hmm. Nobody does this. So he starts writing out the things he wishes he could tell his son, who he's missed three years of his life already. He starts writing out the things he wishes he could share with his son. He starts writing them on paper because he doesn't know if he'll ever get to share that with his son. And that's why it's called Paper Father. So it's his actual journey to try to see if he can find them. And then it is his, if you will, his emotional journey or his telling to his son he may never see again the things he wishes as a dad he could share. Way back in 1996 Uh-oh. is when I met Todd. That is a while ago. Yes. That, that, everybody stop for a second. Do math and then come back. Don't and do math. Yeah. I was living with two other guys going to art school and we were in a large two bedroom apartment. So we were just trying to split it up for rent. And Todd was looking for a place to live. He came to LA to be a writer. Mm -hmm. He moved from Texas. And so I was living in LA already with, you know, these two other guys. So we were, you know, immersed. There's art projects all over the apartment and all this stuff. (laughs) I was the only guy not going to art center. Yeah, he was not from the very beginning. Todd was always writing Mm. and you know how some people like to relax and they do, they turn on the TV that, might be one, or you go to the gym or you blend something (laughs) in your blender and that's relaxing to you. Yes. Whatever that is, Todd's way of relaxing is to put words on a page. And I've never met anybody except for you who is unafraid of the blinking white cursor on a white page. Mm. That is irrelevant. You don't even pay attention to it. I don't think (laughs) there's already so many words that need to get out either through your mouth or through your fingertips What I do find so funny is that Todd went to the doctor school of handwriting. He has a master's degree in the doctor school of handwriting. His handwriting is terrible. It's it's beyond bad. It's horrible. It's really, really. And it's getting worse. As I get older, it gets worse, which is really not good. It's so funny. Yeah. If I ask you to write something, I'm like, could you just decipher this? Yeah. What is this? Don't make me write stuff down. It's so funny. The irony is thick. And so over the years, you have written, what, 20 scripts or 20 scripts plus treatments to films that you've either been asked to do or you just sat down and creatively wrote it. It's, it's like 13, 14 scripts of my own. And then if you add, and this is where it gets a little blurry, if you add stuff I worked on, stuff I pitched, stuff I helped others with, that kind of thing, it's around 20. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot, my friend. That's that's a catalog of work. It's it was a lot, and here's the thing: it was in a really compressed time frame between about, well, it was yeah, it was about ten years. Most of that was done between ninety six and two thousand six. But so, this is the first novel, yes. full novel yes. you've ever written. It's called Paper Father, and we will tell you again: it's on Amazon. So the way you can get to it is everydaydriver.com, Then go to the store tab, and when you click Amazon on the left side. Mm-hmm. You'll see Paper Father right there, so you can order that. I want to start with future dates. As you have gotten into writing this novel, Mm -hmm. it struck me as I started to read, when a date in the novel passes and it's behind you and you're not writing about history, how are you as a writer okay with that time frame being in the past even though you're not 
you're not writing about history. You're writing about something going on right now. It's alternative history at that point. Yeah, I take essentially, point. and it yeah, went yeah. past. And I knew about that date. I knew it was going on in the world, my life at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was not what I'm reading. Sure. How sure, are you sure. as an author okay with that? It is near future, less than a okay. decade from where we are now. Right. And right. I just picked. I did that. I just picked kind of an arbitrary date that felt like that's far enough away. Granted, I started the book a decade ago, so it started moving. I actually moved the dates too. But anyway, um, <laughs> so it's about it's about a decade from now is about where we are. But the the reality of it is that I picked a date about 10 years up because I thought if I pick 20 or 25 or 50, I have no idea how much stuff's going to change in that time period. I'll give you the best example are the great movies, the Back to the Future movies. Okay, okay. They were made in 1985. And they pick dates way in the future, like 2015 and 2020 and 2025. I mean, come on. It's way in the future. We've gotten to all those dates. Here we all, are. All the dates of Back to the Future that were in the time right, machine have right. passed now, and we're all going, it's nothing like that. <laughs> but those movies are still so much fun. Which is my point, because yes. you know it will be nothing like yes. that. Whatever you decide upon, if it is, I mean, good job. but <laughs> And terrifying all at once. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it, yeah. It, we know it won't be. So how, in, in a sense, do authors sort of deal with that? And how do you go through that decision-making process? I, I picked I a date far enough in the future that I felt like by the time the majority of people first found the book, we wouldn't have reached it yet. But it wasn't so far in the future that you couldn't think, yeah, it could never be like that by then. Or you have no idea of no. It needed to be a, a, a tweak, a, a, a cracked reflection of our current world, mm-hmm. not a completely mm-hmm. remade world. And if you watch uh, dystopian stuff that is always completely bizarre and the technology's changed, notice they jump like a couple hundred years, typically. Mm-hmm, I jumped mm-hmm. like 10. Talking about people who have read in the past mm-hmm. and have let reading go in their lives. And that mm. is me. Oh, okay. I grew up reading voraciously. Okay. Me and my sister would devour books. We'd mow the library down from one end <laughs> to the other. And I, just, I read all kinds of stuff from science fiction to Everything. Cool. Very cool. I had no idea. And That's I, awesome. I loved that. And it seemed to be a part of me that disappeared as I grew older. Mm. And, you know, high school came and then college came and I was busy with other interests and activities. And then you grow into adulthood and it just seemed like reading personally was limited mm. to magazines. I, I look at picture books of sure, cars. Sure, sure. Of course we do. <laughs> and I read the description. More cars. <laughs> Look, more cars. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of where yeah, I yeah. had gone. And there are a couple books that I had started to get back into, but I didn't have one that I really stuck with. Mm. And my litmus test for loving a book is something that I will just devour okay. in three to four days tops. Okay. All right. All right. Depends on the length of the book. Depends sure, on sure, sure. Yeah. You know, how much time I have, but usually I'll just sit there and hours will go by. Mm, I mean, mm. and both my sister and I were fast readers, so we could get cool. through a lot. And this is a book that happened. And I don't just say this as your buddy, as your friend. Thank you, man. It's genuinely excellent to read. And it kind of got me back into reading in a weird way. Wow. That's very cool. I it just that. got me thinking about it. Yeah, it got yeah. me back to the thing that I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. So my first question to you is not about paper father, which is the name of the book, but what do you look for in choosing a good, a good book to read? Well, I mean, I like, I, I will make the joke that my wife makes at my expense often because I'll say, I just read this book and she'll just look at me and smirk because she knows that nine times out of 10, when I say, I just read this book, what I really mean is I listen to it as an audiobook. 
because I consume a lot of stuff as audiobooks. Sure, but that counts, does it not? I, I, I think it does. But I she just she laughs about the fact that I use the verb read. I read this book. She's like, you, did, you didn't read a page. But it also sounds weird to say, I just listened to a book. I listened to a great book. Yeah, exactly. Because what? I think when you say I listened to a book, people think it's self-help. Which is fine. Right. There's plenty Which of self-help books. But I think people just assume it's a self-help. I was listening to this book the other day. That sounds like a self-help thing. It's like saying, I hear footprints. <laughs> what? <laughs> so anyway, so I, I consume most stuff as audio, okay? And I, cause I actually love that. But what I look for is I, I find trends in authors that I like. But okay. I, I go, honestly, I go off How do you things. try a new author, though? I go off blurbs, the blurb, and I go off a few of the reviews. Okay. Which is why rating and reviewing is going to be key to paper father. Absolutely. Because I, I will find – look, ev- everywhere does this. Amazon does this. Audible does it. By the way, Audible owned by Amazon now. Anywhere you consume books right. and you buy a book now, if you, it, it's that. If you like this, you might like that recommendation stuff. And so I'll start digging through that. Covers are huge. Covers matter like crazy. Yeah, they do. I actually spent money to find somebody to get me a cover on this. Okay, so we worked on that. We worked on that a lot. Yeah, I know. So I, know. I you know, covers are ma- matter, but blurbs matter. And then, as far as the reviews are concerned, in most places, we'll we'll sort this for you. I look at. Give me one really good one that's like somebody cared and wrote it well. Okay. 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 And give me one negative one that's the same. Okay. I, I want to read. Right. I want to read because the, and the other thing I find is sometimes I will do this if I really want to dig in and I'm not sure about a book. I will sort by negative reviews. I know this sounds dark. I'll sort by negative reviews to see if people have a problem with the same thing because some people just connect to something and it tweaks them strangely. And I'm like, I don't care about that. Right. And and the thing they write in a negative way, you think, well, that's a non-issue Who for cares? me. It's exactly. A, it's a negative point to you, but exactly. for me, I'm fine with that. So that's not really. Uh, so, uh, so, if I, so if I find the negative yeah. is some sort of thing like that where I'm like, that's not even really relevant to whether or not the book was good, then I'm like, this must be pretty cool. Because I don't care what you're consuming, books, TV, movies, I don't care what you're consuming. Somebody out there hates it. Somebody <laughs> okay. out there will hate my book. They will consume it and they will give it one star because they can't give it zero. I guarantee you that person fine, exists. Fine. And that's fine. That's absolutely yeah. fine. But but I'm curious. So I'm always curious. I, I don't like the hate reviews. I don't care who it is. You can tell, you can tell hate reviews. Of course. I just hated this. I don't have a reason. I can't express myself, but I am angry. Those reviews I don't care about. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I'm not yeah. that is irrelevant. Yeah. But I'm always curious about the reviews. Like the, the two three-star reviews are fascinating mm-hmm. on a book because I'm like, okay, did you catch on something that's just you? Or is it, does it seem to resonate with people that that's an issue about this book? And I had a book that one of the rare ones recently that I read that I didn't like. And I happened to note that what I didn't like about it was some other people's things I didn't like about it as well. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's, this is something that's catching a few people. Sure, sure. Everybody's different. But I, I, find, I find genres and styles that I like, and I tend to move in those circles. But I'm excited to step out. Like, I'll give you a great example. Girl on a Train by Paula Hawkins. Okay. That is one of the best books I've read in a while. Okay. All right. And Did yet, you re- read it recently? Uh, a few years back. Oh, but okay. I, but okay. I read it probably a year or two into the hype. Okay. Because right. it came out and it went ba-boom and it was right. really good. Right. And everybody was talking about it. And I was working my way through some stuff in audio and I worked my way to it and finally got to it. I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. And I was like, wow. Interesting. So those books okay. that, that create – how do I put this? Books that move through the clutter because there's tons of content out there, obviously. Of course. Of course. And yeah. now people in general know about that book. I always take a hard look at that. If should I should I read if there's that? just a general buzz, Wh- or whether just it's whether it's a genre I gravitate toward or not, because I'll be honest with you, the Paula Hawkins book, 
based even on the blurb, I wouldn't have gravitated toward it. Okay. But I okay. knew it was very good. And I read the blurb and went, interesting. And then I started reading it and was like, this is really good. Interesting. So th- there's the stuff that okay. I find outside of my realm, but then there's lots of authors that I like. And so like, I'll give you an example. This is not hard to say. Stephen King is an author that I like. Okay. You start right. reading Stephen King stuff, 45 other things get recommended to you. And you can quickly, I feel like, weed out and be like, ah, I don't like that one. But that's interesting. Right, right. You'll give it a try. All right. We must touch on the writing what you know topic here. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. As writers do that. Mm-hmm. But at what point does that become untrue? And there's a lot of authenticity there as far as writing what you know. But mm. when do you gravitate out of that? And when do you... You know, when imagination is just as or becomes more powerful than the things you know mm. from the I'll, I'll touch on the the golden authors, the J.K. Rowling's and the Stephen King's, like you said, and C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows those authors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not writing about things they know because they don't exist. Sure. I mean, I think some writers write very close to what they know. You know, there are some guys that. They they were special operators in the military, and guess what? They write special op- operators in the military books. Right. Okay. You know, things out of your wheelhouse. Yeah. I I have some stuff here that I know, and I have some stuff here that I don't at all. I My big thing I'm always trying to do is to make stuff sound as authentic as possible, but I, I think the two classic writer cliches are actually problematic, one being write what you know and the other one being write every day. Mm-hmm. Those are the classic writer cliches you will hear any writer talk about. I think – while there's, it's helpful, I don't think it's helpful to everybody because you might not have good stuff that you can write today. You might not have a good amount of time to write. You might be in a terrible mood. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I right. think write every day and can be. stuff is going on in your life. Yes. And interruptions happen. Clearly, and, it took yes. me a long time to write this book because of stuff going on in life. Of course. So, you know, write every day is, uh, I think using the skill is helpful every day. And, I, and this, I'm going to broaden it out. And I'm including email. Using the skill of writing is helpful every day because it is a muscle. It is just like working out. When you're writing a lot, it is easier to write tomorrow than it was if you haven't written in six months. And I discovered that with his novel. Very Hmm. much so. When I started, Hmm. I was writing like crazy. And then there were sections where I didn't write much because you and I were building this show. And then I get back to it and be like, this is harder than I remember. Okay. (laughs) So so writing consistently is helpful. I don't think every day is, is helpful. And then writing what you know, I think... You have to write from things you've experienced or things you have gleaned, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be things you've done. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you can write very authentic. Now, Stephen King versus J.R.R. Tolkien. Let me go there for a second. Stephen King stuff is very real as far as the way the people interact. They interact in a fantastic world, but the people are remarkably normal. In his books. Okay. Oh, okay. In some cases, almost boring characters he makes interesting because they have such a normal humanity about them in this weird situation. Right. And right. that's where it just spirals off into where did we go? You know, <laughs> okay, okay. we got really normal guy and then like the world opened up. What just happened? And that's what makes his stuff fun. J.R.R. Tolkien is creating literally the elvish language. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. He was a exists. linguist by training. He created the Elvish language and backed his way into the book. Is that was that the order? Yeah, yes. No kidding. Yes, he created an Elvish language. Like, what What are you doing? It's okay. interesting that that didn't follow, but that, that but generated in, everything else. But what's interesting about that is think about he in a weird way you can see the breadcrumbs there. He creates an entire language because he's a linguist by training, and then he works his way into a massive war war thing because he was in World War One. So right, there's connective right. tissue 
Interesting. He's using life experience that he has to go somewhere fantastic. I'm using life experience that I have as a husband and a father and a, a human, hopefully, to to I ideally ground this in some reality that is relatable and then take it somewhere that isn't. Okay, so jumping off that, how much of your actual feelings and fears and observations and personal beliefs are intertwined with the characters and how they respond or how they interact mm. with each other? Well, mm, okay. There's, there's layers of that answer because on one level, the characters in the book are not me. They're not – the characters in the book are all very different. I mean you know from reading it. Right, right. It's not like you can go, oh, well, that one's Todd and that one's Todd. The characters, of course, all the characters all in fictional. the book, yeah. they're not me. Right. Many of them have traits of me or of people that I know, but no one in the book, including the lead character, is, oh, that's just me on the paper. I right. didn't do that. Right. However, the tool that he's using where he is expressing stuff for his son that he may not get a chance to comes from a very real place in me. But not even 100% of that stuff is exactly what I think about those topics because I, I've got to I've got to measure that. I've got to balance it with the fact that this character is going through situations that I will never go through. So he's going to share things from that perspective that's going to color what I would have said from my nice little house watching a movie this, this evening. You follow what I'm saying? So, Which is bizarre to think about. It's sort of like an out-of-body experience in a way. Yeah, which is one of the things I so enjoy about writing. I mean, I'm writing yeah. character – look – I'm a middle-aged white guy, and I'm writing a woman. Oh, sure. This is not my life experience. Sure. The challenge for for me is, can I make that seem authentic? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay? It's, it's one of the jokes I have with my wife. I'm like, the writer in me desperately wants to be in a room full of women just talking to women. <laughs> right. I'll never have that life experience. So I have to glean it. I have to extrapolate from what I know about my wife and other women and her girlfriends and this kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So there's extrapolating, and then there's trying to ground that in things I do know. And then there is, in this book, there is the extra layer of, I did put some stuff down that is me, because that is the interesting part about these journals he's writing. I mean, I sense that. Sure. You know, you know me well you, enough. Yeah, yeah. Like I do, and yeah, yeah. reading through it, I'm going, well, that's Todd right there. Well, that isn't. That's, mm-hmm. okay, so this is about the book, and this is about yeah. the character. So I liked that you were you know, kind of combining things. So it made it very personal to me. And I think everybody listening will also sense that based on what they know about you will also sense some, there's a bit of Todd in, mm-hmm. in here, maybe in that character or, or in that scene, how you're treating it. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the, okay, you're also creating something and you're not going to just hammer that point home. You're, you're letting that scene play out like it will but it's not you. It's not hopefully, yeah. You know the things you know. So you're you're respecting that scene in the book rather than trying to force it, and which would seem odd. It would come off as very odd. That's always a concern, yeah. But I mean, the other thing about these these journals that he's writing to his son is, and the whole back to the title of Paper Father and the whole setup. He's parenting in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. parenting up what he wants his son to know and take from the world without his son actually having to observe him. And I enjoyed that juxtaposition. You'll see Sam, the lead character, go through something crazy and horrific or weird. And then the way he writes about it is not what you've just seen him go through. Absolutely. He's, he's, but he's not going to write down all those things that happened to him. He's not going to offer those details because they're too horrific. Or he's too, whitewashing it to find yeah. the kernel, hopefully, that is the beneficial thing that you want to tell your child. And that's why it's paper, it's paper father. It's, it's parenting in a vacuum because his son, if he'd been there, would have had a very different takeaway. 
from what just happened. Right. But I can give you the really nice sanitized, the best thing a parent could tell you version. It wasn't always sanitized, though, which I liked. True. It wasn't always just, I'm glad. I'm you know, glad. Yeah, yeah. cleaned up and whitewashed and, you know, okay, well, that's some nice life advice. But like you said, Tolkien wrote the Elvish language first. Did this stem from you wanting to leave life instructions to your own son or creating a delivery method to do it? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, the, the excellent question and, and a key question. This, the idea for this, I, it started as a film in my mind because I was writing screenplays. The idea for this storyline, first off, started as a screenplay and happened to me when my, after my wife became pregnant and we okay. knew we were having a boy. Okay. And I have described myself before as kind of the reluctant father. Mm-hmm. My, my wife very much wanted to be a parent, yeah. and I very much wanted to support my wife. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way I know to put it, all right? And I try very hard to be a good dad, but it is a conscious effort for me. I think it's a conscious effort for everybody, but it is a conscious sure. effort for me, and it is something that I have chosen to do and not something that I felt a longing for. And I know plenty of men, women, that have had a longing to be a parent, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've known plenty of men or women that have never had a longing to be a parent. Yeah. There isn't a right answer there, by the way. But I, I stepped into it, okay? I stepped okay. into it and said, I want to do this. And then I had the secondary thought, which is, huh, it's the nature versus nurture concept. The idea that the same – and this has been debated ad nauseum. But the idea that you can take the same child with the same makeup, and if they're raised by two different sets of parents – there will be core things about that kid that are just, that's the way they are. Mm-hmm. But there will be other things about the way they were raised that will spiral them off against those core attributes in a certain way or not. So I was aware of all of these things. It's, it's the father-to-be syndrome, if you will. Sure, and I just sure. thought about it in storyline. I thought about it in there will be things that I will hope my son will learn that in many cases I was aware enough to go, I might not have even learned yet, but what if I'm not around? When he gets to that crossroads, and I'm 15, 20 years older than when I thought of the issue, okay. what if I'm not okay. around? And so I thought, okay, there's been plenty. There's been plenty. And, and some of them are very good. Fathers to son, here's my wisdom book. And you find them you know, as a coffee table book. Or, right, or and you it's give them just as a, written. As, it's just handed down. Yep. And it, it is at face value. Yep. This is what I'm trying to do. There's no subtlety. There's mm-hmm. no anything couched in this. But then the entire book, I think, okay, that's a good takeaway that I could see you writing to your son. Mm. But then there's some other things I think – that's not really you. That's not really you talking directly. <laughs> it, it's it's not that obvious. Yeah. Hopefully not. It's yeah. the lead character writing to his son mm-hmm. in the book in that situation. Good. Like, eh, Good. That doesn't really relate to what I know about you and you know. And that, so that's it's a it's a bit of a mix. This is then that is a mix, and that's the fine line that I've been trying to walk because ultimately I just thought I don't want to sit down and be like, number 12, see a sunrise every year. I, I didn't want to do that, okay? There's merit in that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be like, what are some core things that I think, forget my son for a second, I think men should ponder. Mm-hmm. Because I think this is a whole separate thing that could be a book. I think current society has done men a disservice by not having a rite of passage. Okay. Think about, okay. look, I'll just go to Native Americans. There is a rite of passage. There was a, the, the Australians had a walkabout. Okay? Sure. Yeah. There, were, yeah. there were things in culture that men to become men had to pass a rite of passage. We don't have anything of the kind. Not really. Okay. So you just, by the way, you're 18. Oh, by the way, you're 21. It, it, there's, mm-hmm. there's no, I have accomplished something and passed the test for, and I think there's merit in that. So I was thinking There's about diplomas, but you know, that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. Other thing. Yeah. You could have paid somebody to tour you through your yeah. way through that. But anyway, my, my point here is I, I wanted, I was thinking about all of these kind of things 
And I just thought, so what are core issues I can touch on? But I don't want to just sit down and write a, a treatise. Right. <laughs> here is my – And it's very on the nose. Here are and my thoughts on these things in the world. Do Son, this. you should listen. Don't do this. Yeah. You should always – no, wait. No, never, never. – uh, <laughs> wait. How should I write this? Sometimes, always. Because no, that doesn't work either. There's an exception to that. This is how it always is. No, well, there's an exception there. I'm not sure. And, it, and it's the gray areas that are fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So I just mm-hmm. thought I want to put this on a structure. I want to put that on a structure, and then I want to put it on a structure that has a narrative of its own. And this is just the way my mind works. Well, yeah, and again, it wasn't just a direct, you know, punching right through and saying, "Okay, I, I get what you're doing. I, I see." No, it, it. wasn't. It wasn't. It, yeah, it wasn't even on the nose or anything. It wasn't so obvious, which I liked about it. Good. I, there was I, there was tidbits, and I thought, I think that's Todd, but I'm not really sure. Look, I. If if people read this book and they like the things that Sam tells his son, awesome. If they read this book and they don't like the stuff t- Sam tells his son, my hope is that the book is still great. If you Fair disagree enough. with Sam, Fair enough. that is absolutely fine. I am not here to, to preach about this is what people should believe. But I wanted to talk on topics that I think are relevant topics for parents to talk to children about and for men to think about while they become men. It okay, doesn't mean okay. Sam's conclusions are the right conclusions, but, the, what but these are the discussion points, folks. These are the based, these are the things you're going right, to face. And so I, I wanted to have Sam talk talk about those key elements. Look, let's let's go there. Death, sex, love, these kind of big concepts right. that at some point you end up having that conversation with your child. Right, right. So what is Sam's take? And some of Sam's take is my take, and some of it isn't. Right. Some of it is very colored by the experience that Sam is going through, which is not the experience of my life. Okay. <laughs> thankfully, course. thankfully, in many cases. So, but but I wanted to see those things, and I also the writer in me loved the juxtaposition of watch Sam go through something as an audience member and be like, "That was horrible," and then have him sit down and write something that really wasn't that horrible after that, and think about how because yeah. we all do that. Yeah. You go through something that everyone listening, your Facebook feed is a m- museum to you. Your worst things in your life, probably not on your Facebook feed. Yeah, right. right. I'm awesome. I'm on vacation, and I am great. That is the typical person's Facebook feed, okay? <laughs> Pretty much. But what about that's when what you're... they spit back at you every year. Yeah. What an awesome year you've yeah. had. But what about all the terrible stuff? But see, yeah. Sam's doing that too, which I enjoyed about it. So okay. I'm writing okay. to my son, and I'm also not writing to my son. It, the book's dedicated to my son. Right, yeah. But it isn't exactly me. Well, as we're reaching the middle of this episode here, I want to bring back up and talk about cars just briefly in the sense from car design. I touched on this before and wanted to ask you a little bit more and dig in a little bit further. And that is the concept of car designers looking at every other car on the road Mm. and pulling elements of design to say, I like that. You know, that would work on this different element here. We're working with a different shape and package, Mm -hmm. but I, I like what that could do. And so we, as consumers of cars, look around and we see, well, that scoop looks like the scoop on the other car and that front end and the headlight shape on that car. Well, that looks like this other car Mm -hmm. from this other manufacturer. They they must be copying like Lincoln going after Range Rover. It's pretty obvious, but it's working for him too. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've never looked at Lincoln's the way I look at Lincoln's now. It's like, thanks for looking at Range Rovers. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Range Rover's still going off in this other direction and Lincoln's kind of starting to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this was related to Mm postmodernism, but as far as the concept goes, there are postmodernists who reject that idea. And I think it's closer to relativism 
Mm. But in writing terms, when you read material, you've read a lot, just like you've watched a lot of movies and pulling other elements out, how much of other writers work influenced or influences your thoughts on this, not from Mm. an originality standpoint, but from a guiding principles and you know, this is, this is what works and this is what doesn't. Oh, okay. I see where you're going. I mean, there, oh, wow. Okay. There's, you can talk about influences. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. it, the larger question is just influences totally. and movies in life. And the, the big struggle, kind of and actually I want Nate to speak to this a little bit. The big struggle for me in writing this, honestly, is that this is a well-worn genre. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic stuff in any fact, whatever the reason it's was. It's popular. It's popular. It's also well-worn. Sure. And, and the two most common are EMPs, electromagnetic pulse, and the entire world goes down and there's no electricity and your car doesn't work. And that is really popular. I didn't want to do that. I also didn't want to do zombies. These are the two currently most common post-apocalyptic issues. So I want to do something a lot more organic, but I also knew I'd be hitting retreads there. So it's one of those things. I've tried it as a filmmaker. I've tried it as a writer. I want to consume a lot in the hopes that I'm not, by consuming a lot of things, I'm not specifically referencing one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope that it becomes, if you will, almost a white noise of experience that I can work from to create my own thing. Execution is key, and I want to come back to that in a minute. So there's that going on. But as far as influences are concerned, there was a question about writing style and who influenced writing style. And I have to say, there's been a lot of books that have influenced me quite a bit. I wrote down a few of them. I happened to find Stephen King's work in high school. And okay. the first thing of his I ever read was a friend of mine. I was not into his work at all. A friend of mine who had read almost everything he'd ever written said, I think you'll like this one. And it was because I liked Westerns. And he handed me... And we listened to our friends. Yeah, exactly. He handed me a Stephen King book called Gunslinger. And this is a huge seven-part monster saga that Stephen King did. His first one's only, I don't know, 150, 200 pages. not that long. He said, I think you'll like this one. And I read it. And it was interesting because at the time, I was in an advanced English class as a senior. And that English class, that teacher was obsessed with having us write complex sentences. Okay. The sentences like you find in your typical legal document. Oh, goody. So you have a paragraph, and the paragraph is like half the page, and it actually only has like one period in the middle. There's two sentences that cover half. How do you do this? (laughs) In so far as in consideration of stop. (laughs) You go to law school, I guess. I can read that. I can understand it, but it is – so staggeringly self-referential and overly wordy. Yeah. And as you can tell by me doing nearly 600 podcasts with you, I can talk. Wordy's mm-hmm. not a problem. But what I was so struck by reading Stephen King's stuff at the same time I was taking this English course is he was the exact opposite. Sentences made of two words. He fired. I was like, shouldn't there be more to that sentence? He, he, I, he, shouldn't there be should, gr- should, grammar in there? He, and he, 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 yeah. he, he fired? He died. What, 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 how on earth right, did he right. fired and he died work? But I'm reading and I'm enraptured. And I remember years later reading the on writing book that Stephen King did. And he broke down. He told a scene in like four sentences. And then he told the scene in 20 sentences. And he said, which one's better? That's and it, fantastic. And it was the short one that was like, I got all the stuff I needed. That's you revelatory gave me, though. He gave me lots of extra, but I got all the stuff I needed. So that was so revelatory to me as a high schooler to be like, I was already writing short stories. Okay. Yeah, as a high schooler. I believe it. But to but to think, huh, the simple's faster to read. The mm-hmm. simple's easier to read. Mm-hmm. And there's and, nothing wrong with that either. 
Exactly. It and doesn't. The, I, I've read so much in any kind of writing, but I've read stuff that are in car magazines where you know writers were look. <laughs> They were referencing their thesaurus a little too much, and they're looking for, I want to say this, what is a word that describes this? I've never seen that word in my life. It's not used in common lexicon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What on earth are you doing? It makes your entire, it detracts from your article. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand about the car or the thing that I'm reading about. Sure, 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 yeah. Your, Your word use is not in... English language. It's not what we talk about. That's not how anybody talks. Mm-hmm. Read it back to yourself out loud and then see if you still like the sentence. <laughs> Throw your thesaurus away. So I, I, I totally agree with you. That happens all the time. You hit a, you know, a word and you're like, if I have to stop in the middle of this article to look this word up, I don't think you've done this well. <laughs> or, not or, that I know all the words, but, I'm but so, I, I can learn you. something, of course. But I, You and I use crazy things like proclivity. We, we, are, yeah. we are accused of sometimes, but we also wink at it. But that was the thing is I was fascinated by simplicity. And trying to write something that got right to the heart of what we're talking about. And then I became a screenwriter. And screenwriting barely even has sentences. Some of the description is unbelievably choppy. Yeah, because they're yeah. trying to just punch through the things. Think about it almost like the fast edits that you see in a film. They're trying to give you just the visuals of those quick edits. It's not a whole paragraph. It's random flashes of little things. That's the description in screenplays. And that taught me, again, a totally even more pared down way that I stepped away from. Because screenwriting is quite restrictive. I stepped away from sure, for this, sure. trying to write very simply and to get but to get you all the information you need with as few words as possible. I think this is a good place to hear from Nate at this point. He's got some perspective on the things that we're talking about, some other books that have similar things, similar themes or not outcomes, but just sort of an overarching approach to what you're doing here. And I, I want you to hear from him right now. So I am and always have been obsessed with story and good storytelling. One of my favorite genres is that sort of like near future pocket of sci-fi. And by that I mean sci-fi real loosely, like less Battlestar Galactica and more Black Mirror. The idea that it's not too far ahead of us, but say like change one thing, a world event or a fall of civilization, etc., And otherwise, it's like a totally relatable backdrop that doesn't seem too different from our own lives. The issue is that most of these genre pieces end up either being some sort of like Mad Max clone or a zombie apocalypse scenario. You know, both totally cool in their own right, but admittedly, they're getting a little bit stale these days. There's just a lot of it out there. Two of my all-time favorite stories reside on the outskirts of this cliche pitfall of literary devices. The Road, which is a really great novel and a really good movie, too. And The Last of Us, which is a fairly recent PlayStation game from 2013. Now, Both The Road and The Last of Us are renowned for their achievements and quality of storytelling, and have largely defined in what can be done in this otherwise kind of stale genre. Mostly because they do two things extremely well. They put a non-cliche spin on the genre in terms of setup. So, like, instead of zombies, The Last of Us is essentially a fungal infection that was inspired by actual real-life science, even though the end result is basically zombies. The Road does a really brilliant thing where it doesn't even elaborate on what happened. It just dumps you into this situation, it gives you a couple breadcrumbs, but it really doesn't focus on what happened. It's just 
there's a falling out of mankind and a little bit of nature as we know it, and just get on with it. The one key detail that really sets these two apart is the actual plot really has little or nothing to do with the setting, or the event that caused the setting. It's just the backdrop. And the actual story being told is an extremely human story of people just getting on with their lives amongst this situation. They're beautiful human stories of perseverance and not really focusing on the zombies or the infection or the fallout or whatever. It's just about people. All this to say, Todd invited me to read a mostly done draft of Paper Father about six months ago. When I talked to him after I read it, I immediately brought up these two juggernauts of storytelling that were both close to my heart and admittedly adjacent to his own novel in some ways. He didn't know ahead of time how much I loved these two tales, and he audibly gulped. You know, like, it's big shoes to fill. And he said those two works were always his kind of fear of being compared to because they're widespread approval and examples of how to do this genre really, really well. I told him not to worry. There are a few things about Paper Father that kind of remind me of those other two. But it's just really small and, like, topical stuff. Paper Father honestly felt really original throughout, and I loved it. It's absolutely getting carved into my personal Mount Rushmore of dystopian future fiction. What I love about those other two stories come down to the choices they made not to be cliché, the hugely creative ways they made seemingly well-documented genre very fresh. And Paper Father does this really well, too. It all starts with the backdrop. No zombies, no cataclysmic catastrophe, no meteor. Todd sets it up with something far scarier and way more relatable. Just financial and economic fallout. It's a society where debt amounts to jail time, essentially. What does that mean to us when our current lives are being connected at, like, all times disappears? How do you catch up with your loved ones in their three-plus year head start when you have no way to contact them? How do you do that alone in a new society that is now totally different, less civilized, and less safe than ever before? Where do you even start? It's so relatable and totally scary to think about. Then there's the characters. In the best possible way, not a single character in this story is without their own personal flaws. Nobody knows what they should do. Nobody knows what's best. Everybody makes mistakes. It's incredibly grounded and very human. Also, none of the characters ever do anything that would have you shouting at the screen or at the page like you would in a poorly written movie or book. Every single character has clear motivations and acts very believably regardless of how big or small the decision they make is. It sounds so simple and obvious, but it's such a rarity in fiction. Everything I love about The Road and The Last of Us is in Paper Father. Truthfully, in some ways I prefer the choices Todd made to the other two works. He made the story that much more accessible and relatable. It's one of those setups that immediately stops you in your tracks and makes you ever so slightly concerned about it actually happening someday. The backdrop in Paper Father is that plausible. It's an emotional roller coaster as well. It's exciting and intense and gritty at times. It's heartfelt and optimistic, and it can be a tearjerker at moments. Now, I won't spoil anything in regards to the plot, but what I can say is that many times throughout this story, I had anticipated what was going to happen next. Usually through guesses that you know were made by what I've seen happen in similar situations and other stories and movies over the years. The greatest praise that I can make is that not only was I usually wrong about what would happen next, but what did happen was wholly original and better than most of the outcomes I had predicted from other stories. Yes, he is my friend, and I'm always rooting for him. But, no joke, I absolutely love this book. 
It offered a window into Todd's brain that car culture would never do for most of us. And I read the draft version twice, actually, over the past few months. And I just ordered the paperback because I'm sure I'm going to read it again in the near future as well. No joke. It's really, really good, and I'm so proud of him. I have to tell a funny story on Nate. Okay. That I've already shared with him about all of this. Okay. And, and thanks to him for, for submitting that and for, and for giving the, those comments because you'll, you'll see why it's even more important here in this story. He was one of my original readers. And one of the things I have to say, thank you to all of my 10 or so original readers. I specifically picked people in a huge swath of my life. A couple of them were guys that I was major screenwriter buddies with in L.A. And I knew they'd be hard on me. Yeah, and they yeah. were, and it was really? great. It was great because they got each of them, Lance and Jeremy, each of them, they picked a different thing that bugged them, and they drilled down so far to the place where I'm just like, guys, nobody cares at that level. But they did. They, they, they did. Just, they, it caught them, and they were just like, this doesn't work for this reason. And so I had to, I had to fix those issues. Yeah, they're, but they're both successful writers They're both as well. very good. They're both very and good. And so I think yeah. some of their points were valid. So, exactly. So I, I had that one end of the spectrum. Other end of the spectrum, I had folks who were like, I don't know the last time I read a book. I didn't even know you wrote. It was like, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Great. This was Here's the range. This. this was the range. And I gave everybody the same kind of survey and let them talk beyond that as far as they wanted. And I sent it out to these readers, first people who've ever read it. And I just thought, there are two things in pop culture that I really hope I don't hear. I don't want anybody to say to me, this is like the road or this is just like the last of us. Because I had purposely not read The Road, and I heard the premise. I purposely not read The Road because I didn't want it to, to feel like it had been influenced by The Road. And I never played the video game The Last of Us because I was worried about being influenced by it, and I'd heard the premise of that as well. I had avoided both of these properties. I get Nate's notes back. Okay. His first sentence is, this reminds me a lot of The Road of The Last of Us, and my heart sank. Oh, so the fact that he then oh. kind of told me what he liked beyond that was such – it was honestly one of the biggest reliefs of the entire pre-reader process because I was like, in one sentence, I'm dead. And then he kind of goes, no, 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 but here's what's up. So, Nate, thanks for that. Well, talk a little bit about that pre-reading and the editing and the mm. wrapping up process. You'd come over and you'd look at me like, I'm pulling books off the shelf just looking at formatting. I've never done that before. <laughs> it was very, I have to format weird. this thing. What do yes. I do? Yes. So talk about having pre-readers, mm. going through the beta process, taking all you know the, these two guys in LA, taking mm. their consideration yeah, yeah, into yeah. play. And many people are asking on social media here, did you have a sole editor? Usually it's one editor, mm -hmm. and a lot of authors are giving editors now more credit and yeah, yeah. you know leeway. What was that process, and you know, kind of what did you? Why did you choose that process over just a sole editor? Uh, I'll I'll try to go quick because this is lengthy, but I'll give you the, the short timeline of how this got written. I had the idea. Again, when my wife was pregnant, give you a frame of reference, my son is nearly 11. It was a while ago. I had the idea. I sat down and quickly wrote uh, probably 10 pages of screenplay, and that was as far as it went. Maybe 10 pages. It might have been okay. like six. Okay. okay? And that was as far as it went. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, because of the way the, the breadth of this, how long I want to take this, I think this is actually a novel, not a screenplay. Okay. So okay. I thought, all right, that means I need to rework what I've got, which took a little while until I got back around and reworked it and thought about it in, in novel form. And I started it. And then you and I start really dedicating ourselves to this show. Mm -hmm. yep. And so even though I, I absolutely love writing, I love it. I know you do, I man. would be away from it for a long time. You sit down and blast. Well, you say that. It's you'll, funny. You'll because sit down and just, at least from what I've observed, when yeah. I've seen you writing, 
you're just in the zone. Just so down. I, I love it. I love it. And but I would find right. only little snippets because think about this. You and I were building the show while I had a full time job. Right. So I had a full time right. job and then was doing the show on nights and weekends. And then I was trying to be a husband and a father. There was no time left to write this novel. Yeah, None. Yeah. So as my son got a little older and, and the show got a little up on its feet, and then you and I step out mm-hmm. and become entirely on the show, yeah. Yeah. that was in, right around the time, jumping forward now, to when my wife and I went, you're going to laugh at me, I know you are. My wife and I went on our 20th anniversary trip. Okay. We were gone for a week. We went to a beach resort. We just We had an amazing time. One of those perfect beach resort times. Okay. And you know how people go to a beach resort? And what do they do? They spend time with their spouse. They're having a great time, but they're also reading a book. Because I never read. I'm going to read a book. Right. I didn't read. I wrote. Of course you did. I did 20,000 words that week. None of us are surprised. <laughs> and of I had so course much. you did. And it, and it wasn't like I was ignoring my wife. It was all those moments you would take on a vacation where you're just going to read for a bit while you sit by the pool. I had a laptop out. And I had the best time. And then we'd go be in the ocean and go to dinner and all the stuff you'd normally do on a vacation. It's just the book time. Which is astounding. I was writing. It is a different person that does that, man. It is a different kind of person that has a headspace and thoughts to get it out rather than absorb information. We're always looking at phones and media and laptops and it's always going in. And I and I am absolutely guilty Different of mindset that. to get it out. But I am I am hardwired as a storyteller. My dad tells the story of he never seen me like excel at anything school wise. And my dad's very good at math, and I despise it. So he never seen me excel excel at anything school wise. And then when he brought on our first family computer, and I was in junior high. Mm-hmm. I sat down and wrote a thirty page short story. Did you really? I didn't know how to type very well. And he was like, "Where did this come from?" <laughs> okay, so I'm just I'm hardwired for the storytelling yeah, thing, and yeah. this was something I I wanted to see finished. Okay, so I kept picking at, it. but that's again my wife and I's 20th anniversary was a few years back now, two, only a couple years back now. That was really the full restart because that was when you and I stepped into doing this full time, which right. means not completely, but some of my nights and weekends came back. The schedule changed for sure. I was I was yeah. slightly less busy, so I started to dedicate yeah. myself to that. And yeah. but then at that point, there'd been so much lag time. Like I was saying before, the muscle was weak. The writing muscle was weak, mm. and I had to get myself back into a cadence that I used to be able to pull off easily. Okay. that thing that you do, if you've ever been a, an athlete at, at operating at a pretty high level and you go back to that thing later, your body remembers how good you used to be. It's right. that thing, but for writing. My sister has told me that your body remembers exercise, strenuous exercise that you've been doing for about three weeks. And then after that, so that's why you can go, I haven't run in a week, and then you, you kind of get back into it yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty quickly. She says, exercise is about three weeks. So so I was aware that I used to be a faster, better writer, and I had to kind of build it back up. So that became more of my focus, which is why in the last few years I've gotten a lot more, a lot farther on it. Then you and I were traveling on a pilgrimage, our last pilgrimage. Yeah, I remember We were this. over the Atlantic yeah. when I first wrote the end of this novel for the first time I got to the end. I had had it outlined. I do my outlines in an Excel spreadsheet, but I had it outlined. Okay. And I move stuff around and I allow stuff to, to get really liquid. Okay. If that becomes totally different character or that scene happens later, that's fine. The other thing I did on this that I don't normally do, I never did it on screenplays, is I would have a moment when I would think about this moment's going to happen between these two characters and this is what they're going to say. I know it right now. But I'm 100 pages from that. I would sit down and I would write that moment. Just take a break, write that, mm-hmm. store it, 
come back to what you're doing. I never did that in mm. screenplays. But mm. in this, I knew I was like, that may not all be stuff I use, but I need at least to get that tone and those moments out so that when I bump into it, when the story catches up to it, <laughs> I've at least got what that should have been. This happens when we're shooting video and we're on camera. I have this thought. I have to get it out You're of right. me right that now. Yeah, yeah. Fix it in the edit. Yes, yes, yes. You can move that to where it needs <laughs> yes. to be. Yes. I just have to get this out while it's on my mind right now. Uh-huh. You have to know about blank. Same thing. So when I finally got it done, then I had to do a full reread Okay. where I found some problems, but uh, not all of them, because then I sent it to beta readers who found a lot more problems. Okay. Was there any major thing that was a consistent problem that influenced a change at the end of the book or, well, or a- anywhere in the book? Did, I, I want to stay spoiler free, so I'm not going to give of them course, any of specifics. Course. Did but, people pick up on something that said, yeah, this isn't really working, and it influenced your writing? It needs to. It, it has to. Okay. I mean... My version, I knew that I sent out was like, this is the version that is the first time it's out of my skull. Okay. And then I'm going to okay. understand from others what's not working. I mean, I used to say this about screenplays. If you send out 10 screenplays and six people say there's something wrong with the scene, they're all going to say something different is wrong with that scene. But you as a writer need to fix that scene. There's something wrong. Okay. Okay. And that was what I was taking back of these, of these great readers. Again, a com- incredible swath of readers, men, women, different ages, different experiences, different experiences with me, which I also really right, liked. Right. So there were certain things that they all hit on, like this isn't working or what's up with this character in this moment. And I was like, that stuff's got to be fixed. They all had a different reason why they didn't like it. They all had a different, in many cases, fix for what they thought it should be. <laughs> what if it was this? <laughs> I had a few nitpicks with you as well. Yeah. I had a few, but, but at you know, the same whatever. time, hitting those moments and going, ah, and I was really to the situation of, I had some cases where it wasn't even like all ten, uh, like six of the ten readers, it was like two of the readers, mm. but they had the exact same issue, which made me go, "Huh, is this an issue we should?" So fix? let me address, yeah. see if I can soften that moment. So that was that was key. And then from the editing standpoint, this has been a wildly long answer. From the editing standpoint, my sister has a journalism degree. She's okay, lived yeah, in right, right. New York and L.A. Pardon me, New York and London. She's lived in New York and London. And she has worked for, even, I don't even know how many websites and other places, as an editor. So she, while she hasn't edited a novel before, I knew she would be perfect for this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I could be very candid with her about all of it. So I sent it to her. Okay. Because she was between jobs, and I was like, perfect. So she took it on as an editor, which was great. And so Amy was amazing. So she was my editor. And um, she got into it, and she told me about two weeks in, she was like, I'm having trouble. And I said, why? And she said, well... Because I find I keep reading this and realizing I haven't looked for mistakes yet. <laughs> so she that's, had to go, that's a good sign, is I it was not? Glad. She had to go back and be like, I got to slow down. So she started slowing down. And she it, started know, reading so, for entertainment purposes rather than – Exactly. So I, mean, I, I, I know that there – I wouldn't be surprised if there's still random things that are dangling. But she did a great job of really honing me in and finding issues and you know chasing things like commas. Yeah, right, there's, right, there's right. A, that, there's a comma in that sentence somewhere. I'll throw one in. <laughs> she'll fix it. I don't know. So she was very helpful. And then I had to do the formatting steps. Right. Because why wouldn't you? You made the comment to me. You were like, this is what a publisher does. This is what a publisher does. They have I was, teams of people. I was submitting to Amazon as an ebook, but I was writing in a program called Scrivener. Okay. okay which is a great program. I, I, I'm still discovering it, but it's phenomenal for organization. I loved writing in it. But that is not how your book's going to look. 
So now I had to start formatting it out of Scrivener with different changes to just see what the final PDF and, and or, or ebook file would be like. And I open up and be like, oh, that's wrong. So now I'm back in Scrivener trying to fix to extrapolate how that'll go through the compiler and wind up in, the, oh, that got fixed. Oh, but now that's out. Why does that have a space in the middle of that page? It's been a lot of days doing that, which is not my gift. Wow. Well, we do have a few questions that I'd like to cover before the last question of this episode about the book, which is kind of weighty because of the adult nature of the Mm. book. But I do want to get to just basic influences, whether that be people, other books and authors Mm. or Mm. films that have inspired you or influenced the subject matter or I would think what I envision because I could see other scenes from other movies when I was reading this. Other movies would pop into my head. Interesting. And think, All right. Well, that mm, that could work right here, or that, mm, I've seen something before. Where have I seen that? But then it would go in okay. a totally different direction. Good. <laughs> I'm glad it started there, and then kind of went like, well, now I'm just kind of I've got this new movie running in my mm. head. Mm. Kind of interesting. Well, I think the key thing about dealing in a genre that's been done a lot. It's all, it's all execution. I mean, I'll go random for a second. Uh, samurai stories, westerns, okay. and something as modern as Star Wars, The Mandalorian, are all the same idea. You okay. Have a gunslinger warrior person, solo warrior that travels town to town solving problems on what is ultimately a larger quest. Welcome to all samurai stories, most westerns, and the Star Wars film Mandalorian. Okay. The difference right. is execution. The difference is setting. Right. Setting first, but execution second. Because how many samurai movies and westerns were done this way? Almost all of them. But yet there's that (laughs) subtlety in execution. Okay. I'll give you a more extreme example. Every F1 race has the same rules with the same cars and the same drivers. Why do we watch? Something's going to be different. Every football game is the same exact story setup. Same rules. Yeah. Same story setup. Yeah. Why do we watch? Little nuances are going to change. So I was excited about finding those nuances in a genre that's been done a lot. I also am, I guess every writer's different in this regard, but I don't see specific faces and I rarely see scenes out of other people's work. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the larger feel of what this dystopian world would look like, but it isn't ever exactly what I've seen before. Which is good. And I don't see – some people are uh, – Nate actually asked me a question about did I see specific actors. No. I don't even see like clear faces. Interesting. I see like that kind of fuzzy features that you see when you have a dream about somebody. You don't exactly know who they are. It's that kind of, I see kind of here's fuzzy features. That, I'm aware of kind okay. of what they look like, but I couldn't say that's exactly who they are. But here's what this person is doing and they're yeah. going to yeah, – they're yeah. their own person and then and I also, whoever that ends up being, whatever. I also like that because I yeah. want the person reading to find who they think it is. I want, I want you to have a visual in your head of exactly what that person looks like. I'm glad I can't tell you to the micromillimeter that that nose is slightly wrong. Whatever. Right, Find your right. version of that in your head. I really like that. So that's happened as well. All right. Well, as we start to wrap up, I do want to ask you about your own son. Oh. It's not a question of will you let him read it? Oh, okay. It's a question of when mm. will he read it? When When is good? Because this is also a little bit of a question for other readers and purchasers of this book Mm -hmm. who have children and might want to share some of these life instructions, principles, happenings, things in them and say, you ought to read that just because of here's the scenario. Here's how it went down. Here's how Mm -hmm. dad dealt with it. Here's the, the instruction and the takeaway. It's well done. I want you to read it. But at what point 
Mm. At what point do you start letting your son or daughter watch yeah. R-rated movies? You know, you should yeah. be 17, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every parent's different. When, when kids are exposed to various things in their life, mm-hmm. but your son knows you're a writer. Yeah. He's yeah. probably read other things, but he's 11 at this point mm-hmm. and just starting to be able to really understand and have that level of comprehension, reading comprehension yeah, yeah, yeah. better to understand what you've put together here. I don't think the subtleties will hit him right now, mm. but they will in the future. I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm grappling with this question right now because my son knows that I've written a book, mm-hmm. knows that I dedicated it to him. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I want to read it. And I'm like, yeah, but not quite yet. <laughs> We're not there yet. You know, I, yeah. I think I, I, if this were a movie or if this were a TV series, I think it would be hard PG or soft R. If you want to think about it in, in movie ratings. Okay. 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 I think you have to figure out who is the reader that they can take that in as far as the violence, the subject matters, these kind of things. There's a lot of adult subject matter in it, but I wouldn't say it's a book only for adults. I do think it's teenagers at least. Okay. Because I think the topics that are discussed, you have to get into your teenage years to have hit all those topics at least once. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think there's topics in this book that my son just hasn't even grappled with yet at 11. So I I want, I want him to at least be in a situation where he's grappling with those topics before there's, he's reading something that discusses those topics. Whether he takes my version of it, and I mean, I would love it for him to read it and start a conversation. I don't know, but I I think you've got to be dealing with those topics across the board. Some of the ones I mentioned already. So I would say you're a high schooler. You want to read this book? Bring it. I mean, he's a, he's a little bit special because he's your son. Exactly. He should get a little bit of early access. And I'm, I'm going to have to. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to be about him on him being enough of a reader and having enough of these topics in his head that I think it's something that he could take in. Mm. And I think every kid's different, but I think yeah. in, in a broad stroke way, it's probably a high schooler book or older, but I think adults and especially adults with kids are going to resonate with it the most. Interesting. The book is Paper Father. It's on Amazon. I'm really proud of you, man. Thank you, buddy. It's There's, fantastic. I really appreciate the fact that you like it that much. There's been a lot of you that have had nice things to say. I hope many of you read it and have lots of reviews. I should say this as well. We've stayed vague writer in general and spoiler free here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's going to be what we're discussing as a virtual book tour that Mandy is setting up. That will probably be zoom based. That will be an entire spoiler free for all. Okay. That will be a month or six weeks from now. We're going to, and again, this is being figured out. We're going to put it on my website, which is toddeacon.com, which if you know how to spell my last name, you can get there. D double E K E N. Okay. ToddDeacon.com has a way for you to buy the book. It will also, in the coming weeks, have the registration for this virtual book tour. The intention there is that you are listening in on that call. You're on that Zoom call because you have read the book. And we're going to talk about anything you want to talk about. It'll be spoiler-filled. So there is more (laughs) discussion coming. We won't do it on this podcast, but more discussion coming. I I can't thank you guys enough for your interest in just listening to this and for those of you that have bought it I'm I'm genuinely flattered. I hope you thoroughly enjoy this book because that's my intention. And by the way, when you do buy it and you've finished it, leave a review on Amazon. That will help proliferate it, that will help get it even more notice and attention and it absolutely deserves it and I it's gotten me thinking more about other books again, man. It's gotten me kind of back that. to that's reading again. That's great to hear. It, that's it's really, a, it's that's a really, lost really cool. skill. Like you said, writing mm-hmm. the writing muscle, 
just reading and enjoying books because we're overwhelmed with books. What do you want to read? Yeah. There's everything yeah. and anything. Just walk through a bookstore and you don't even know where to begin. Yeah, you're right. And I, there's, here's the other thing. The weird person that I am, I have two other stories I'm ready to write. I have one novel that I'm actually starting that is not even related to this that I have been waiting in the wings on because okay. I was like, no, Paper Father has to be done yes, first. I have to yes. be finished with this one. So I'll be writing more, which I'm excited about. I'm excited that it's kind of – it was nice to finish a story again. Cool. Because that's a great feeling. And, cool. and the best thing about finishing it is now the step we're at now, which is sharing it and getting to hear back. And you guys – Buying it, sharing it, telling others, giving reviews are the only thing that's going to get it in the top 100, let alone the top 10 of any one of the genres on Amazon. And that's when it really starts to take on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. I cannot accomplish this. If you guys like it, you guys can accomplish that for me. And I thank you for the efforts that you've already given it and the interest. It's amazing. Guys, thank you as always for your interest, your engagement, and being part of the Everyday Driver family. Really, we mean it. Thank you so much. We're always looking forward to next time.